everybody, get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on what finally is a sunny day in Washington. I'm Yay! I was building an ark in the backyard for a while. <laughs> we have an all-star show today. This is going to be great. Legendary food journalist and author Mark Bittman is here. You remember him from his column in the New York Times and... And, uh, and we have all of his books. Well, we got How to Cook Everything, the award-winning Food Matters. Uh, VB6. Wait, VB6. I we tried, tried it. that. I tried it. <laughs> we did. I, I couldn't stick with it. But, but we cut from the book a lot. But he's got a great new book, and it's very timely because we just picked up our new Weber on Friday. It's called How to Grill Everything, and we're going to grill him about grilling shortly. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. So James Beard award-winning uh, and Michelle Star ho- Michelle Michelin Michelin Star, star holding. winning. Uh, the chef Patrick O'Connell of the Inn at Little Washington is celebrating a lot this year. It's the 40th anniversary of the Inn, and there are there's a, a slew of events coming up. Uh, a one slew of, of really cool events she-she coming events. up. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he's got one uh, it, at, uh, through the Museum of American History mm-hmm. uh, and two other huge events. One at Mount Vernon, where he's cooking a dinner a la George Washington, June and another 16th. outside of Paris. So I don't think we're invited. The one to Paris we're not invited that to. That's true. I really want to go. All <laughs> okay, right. well, you can, we can, if you weren't so cheap, we could probably well, do that. I am pretty cheap. <laughs> so Church Hall is a new addition to D.C.'s awesome lineup of watering holes. And the guy behind it is Jeff Dawson. Uh, he's behind a lot of names, you know, Buffalo Billiards, Penn Social. He's sort uh, of like the man behind everything. Yeah, but he's kind of a, you know, he's he's not one of those guys that puts himself out there a lot. He lets his product speak for him, right? Yeah, right, but he's right. got a huge new concept out there right now. Church Hall. Mm-hmm, in Georgetown. Brewskies. So we'll talk about that in a or moment. Beer. And we could just call them beer. And, uh, okay, and Vintage Virginia is coming around again. That's a great wine festival. Uh, this er, June, June 2nd, 2nd and, and 3rd, 3rd uh, 20 vineyards, more than 200 wines. And two of the participants are here with us, Neil Glazer of Horton Vineyards and Vitor Gimaret. Did I say Gimaret? I did He's it. Like okay. Sorta. He's Maurice, like close enough. Of Moray's Vineyards. He says, yeah, you're close enough, buddy. <laughs> I want to know who was closer. Uh, first, we're going to start. Uh, we've got Mitch Berliner from Central Farm Markets out there in the world. You've got local flowers. You've got... I saw the soft shells, the picture of the soft shells. Tell us what's going Hi, on. Mitch. All right. Good morning, kids. Good morning. Don't be so cheap taking a Paris. Come on. <laughs> I'll, I'll come to the studio and I'll cover for oh, you. Oh, okay? I love you, Mitch. Thank Debbie you. And I'll do it. So mm. we'll talk about it off air. Right, we're going to up that your that sponsorship happen. fee and then I'll take her. Mm-hmm. There Uh-oh. you go. Now so, he's going. Here we go, boys and girls. <laughs> um, tons of strawberries at all four markets. Uh, what's very cool this time of year, short lived, we have fresh garlic. The whole bottom with all the uh, cloves, the entire bulb, you just roast that in the oven mm-hmm. or on the grill, easy peasy, and just squeeze out its ambrosia. Also, very, very, very short lived, we have garlic scapes. So for those that well, let's that, talk about garlic scapes. I love sure. them, but I know a lot of people, like, they're so beautiful and stringy and pretty, but a lot of people are kind of intimidated. They're what do strong. you do with them? Well, it's very simple, actually, preparation. You get a pan. Nonstick is always easy. Put it in a little bit of water to soften them up. When the water disappears and a little soft butter and or oil and um, 
put them in eggs. I just throw them on whatever vegetable we're roasting, or the, or actually I'll just throw into the pan. Could be asparagus because that's what's here this season. Plus, good segue. First snap peas of the sugar snap peas of the season. They're fabulous. Mm-hmm. Great, just raw and salad snacking. We like to um, use like peppers, cucumbers, snap peas, carrots. All these things are available in the market for dips instead of chips. Okay, can so we also talk about quickly because um, sure we have sure. a full show today. You have um, soft shells. We have the first soft shells of the season. I'm so ready for soft shells. Uh-huh. So next week, um, I don't know how long they're going to last. We are the four Central Farm Markets. Mm. You'll see them at centralfarmmarkets.com. And we are your Memorial Day weekend headquarters. We got everything for your grilling and taking out meat, fish, poultry, for soft shells of the season. You name it. Distillery, beer, the whole deal. Okay, so you're open all weekend next weekend except for Monday, obviously. All weekend. We are open Saturday at the Pike and Rose. We're open Saturday at Westfield Montgomery Mall. Sunday in downtown Bethesda and in the Mosaic District. Awesome. So please right. come and visit us, and thank you, and uh, take it to Paris. Well, I'm glad See you got right. a nice day for it out there, Mitch. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you. All right, All so right. let's turn to Neil Glazer of Horton Vineyards, and Victor, I'm going to say it, Gimarij. Did I do Gimarij. it right? Did I say it right? you got to get up to the I'm mic. Close enough? Gimarij. 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 Oh, God, Victor. Okay, so Couldn't if it we be can... Smith? I mean, right. really. So, so we'd love to hear a little bit about each of your vineyards, and we're going to give you, we're going to talk to you both throughout the show, uh, but let's just give a quick elevator speech. Do you want to start with just one and then go to the other? Yeah, let's, okay, let's, who do you want to start, start with? Let's start with Neil. Just Neil? a quick, uh, quick 411 on Horton. Uh, Horton Got to talk in front of the mic. Horton Vineyard started in 1989, mm-hmm. um, which will make us 30 years old next year. Um, Happy birthday. You don't uh, look a day over 20. We're sort of known as the, the winery that's the great experimenter. Um, we introduced Viognier to the state. We introduced uh, other grapes like Tanat, and one, one we're going to try here, uh, Arcatzatelli or Ricatite. I can never say the darn word. Okay. Um, you and I have the sta- same you, speech problem. <laughs> we just say our cats. Okay. <laughs> um, but we, we planted, and probably uh, Dennis Horton would say he's, he's ripped up more vines trying to figure out what grows in Virginia than uh, other people have planted. Well, mm-hmm. we had him on here this couple of years ago. Yeah, we did. And, and that was really his thing. He said, I like to tinker. Yeah. And we're still tinkering. So. So um, what did you pour for us today? I brought a grape called uh, Arcatzatelli is the way we've Americanized the word. It's a grape that originally comes from the Georgian Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, Great wines out of Georgia. Yeah. Great wines. It's the uh, oldest grape known to man made into wine. If you were to look up uh, like archaeological digs, they have uh, they found mm-hmm. seeds that genetically match from like 8,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's been around a long time, but not in the United States. We got uh, the original vines originally uh, were planted up in uh, the Finger Lakes with Dr. Frank. Right, and then, sure. And uh, Dennis Horton became a fan of the grape, and we had this tough location uh, where we wanted to grow some grapes, and uh, our cats was great about uh, budding late and ripening early, mm-hmm. um, and, it's, and it doesn't So freeze. what's the flavors that we're looking for in this? Tell us. It's really just real straightforward fruit flavors. There's peach, melon, um, little tiny bit of sweetness, which makes it good with uh, sort of spicy food mm-hmm. when it has a little bit of no, heat. It's a nice, um, nice and crisp and clean for a hot summer day. Yeah, I always think of this as my summer wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's recently just got 94 points and it's won double golds and 
uh, it's you know it's been well, doing really you. well. So, <laughs> Congratulations. Um, maybe, maybe we can spread the news about this. Great. That's the. Well, that's I'd love to do that. All right. Well, we're going to come back to y'all, uh, and we're going to get into our first guest. Well, let's talk to Mark Bittman. You ready, Hello, Mark? Mark Bittman. Right. You ready I for so. us? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, I, you know, reading your bio is is mind blowing because you've been, a, you know, a premier columnist for the New York Times. You, you had you had stories and columns in there for twenty years, right? You wrote VB6, which is <laughs> which we tried to do. Um, we did it when the book came out two summers ago. I know, ago. I tried. How to Cook Everything. You've been on TV. You're, you're the man. You're the go-to man when it comes to food Well, writing. so let me break in as you continue. Like okay. Your introduction is too I was long. extolled. Okay, so yes. So, I mean, we love How to Cook Everything. It's one of my favorite books. It's one of my favorite books to give as a gift, especially to people who are starting out their lives after college. I just think it's a great gateway to home cooking. But my question to you is, is since we know how to cook everything, thanks to you, now we need to know how to grill everything? Well, a grilling-specific book is, um, I think, of value, especially as summer comes. And, um, you know, How to Cook Everything is a title. It's not an actual description. So this is... <laughs> you mean I can't hold you literally to <laughs> no, that, you Mark? Can't. I'm sorry. Okay. So this is... Um, the grilling book is 250 recipes with 750 variations. It's, I think, 500 pages. It's a substantial work on grilling. Mm -hmm. And unlike most grilling books, it um, it doesn't – it's not particularly meat-heavy, which is not to say that there aren't meat recipes. Um, no, there there's are a lot many, of vegetables. But there are a lot of vegetables. There are fish. desserts even mm -hmm. and bread and fruit and, um, yeah, tons of fish, which is my original passion. So – um, well, let's get it to that. It is kind of how to grill everything. It's more literally how to grill everything than how to cook everything is how to cook everything. Well, but, so, yeah. you know, since it is just finally with a sunny day, like the beginning of grilling season, we actually just bought a new grill. Um, and we actually went to bats about it because I really wanted a big green egg um, or a charcoal grill because I feel like that's more authentic to a gas grill. But instead, we wound up with a gas grill, and I do all the grilling. The That's a subtle way of saying it's my fault the way it yeah, was. No, done. I don't mind the gas grill. The question, <laughs> but I feel like a gas grill is cheating. I thought it was a health issue. So that's one thing to address is charcoal. You know, we talk about grilled meats being having carcinogens in them. It's, you know, where does that come from? Where do you it's not a health it? issue. You are not going to die from grilling. I mean, if you grill hot dogs and eat them twice a day, you might have an I issue. I am if but I, you <laughs> haven't met Nikki long enough to know if I screw something up, I will die. Okay. I think all cooking is a compromise. and um, Just like marriage. Gas grills are a terrific compromise. Okay, so what? tell us about like the differences for, for as people are getting into the season. Gas, charcoal, adding wood packets to a grill. Do you think that means anything? Where do you stand on all that? I mean, I think a wood fire is the ideal thing to grill on, except for the fact that it takes a long time and a lot of work. Charcoal mm -hmm. is also really great, but it too has problems in that it gets hot very quickly. It gets cool very quickly. If you're not willing to maintain the fire, then you really can't cook on it for more than 10 or 15 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. Gas is, in a way, gets rid of both of those issues by being easy and long-lasting. And you can make a gas grill taste, you can make food cooked on a gas grill taste a lot better by just tossing some wood on the fire. So when you say toss wood on the fire, do you I mean, mean like literally a, toss wood on the fire? Just put wood on the fire, not like putting in a water bath or something no, like no, that? No, no, it's better not to soak it because then you get steam. You don't need steam. You okay. want smoke, and you want smoke to come out of wood. And 
Gas grills are very sturdily built. New ones are, I'm sure your new Weber is going to go to 800 degrees when you yes. turn it on. Mm -hmm. That is really, really hot. Um, and that will cook anything well. And, you you know, th they have to build it so that it's mm -hmm. going to last. And um, having some wood in there is not going to hurt the grill well, and okay. it's only going to enhance the flavor. I got labor. a question well, for you. Because for me, grilling, it's, it, is, is, it is primal. To me, it reaches back to... You know something in previous. I don't know what primal that means to you. You, it, you know, I've grilling never meat. Grilled. Grilling meat. That isn't true. Grilling meat. So, and I never tasted a grill. Tasted a grilled vegetable before I met Nikki. But now people are grilling fruits. They're you know cheese, cheese, all kinds of stuff. When did all that happen? Because most grilling books don't even address it. That's one thing about your book that, you know. I mean, it simple. happened elsewhere in the world five thousand years ago. It happened here five years ago. The Greeks were grilling. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think. You know, there are people who were really uh, nervous around grilling, making sure they didn't do things wrong. And now, you know, like a book like yours, there's a, your you, you can throw a pot on the grill. You know, you can throw cheese in. Like you can cook outside. Cornbread cooked in a cast iron skillet on a grill, phenomenal, right. unbelievable how good that is, so, and completely different than cooked in an oven. So. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the recipes in here and some of your tricks of the trade. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We're grilling. You should be, too, with Mark Bittman. We'll be back in just a sec. Okay, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. I want to mention that we're on Facebook Live, so if you want to see what's going on in studio, go to Facebook uh, Facebook, and search Nikki Nellis, N-Y-C-C-I, Nellis, and you'll see us all. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Mark Bittman. About his new book. food writer about his new book, beautiful new book, How to Grill. Um, everything. How to mention, Grill Everything. At noon today, you can meet Mark and, and buy the book and get an autograph at Politics and Prose on Connecticut. And a well, you're really I'm doing well today. I'm chewing it up today. Yeah. Connecticut Avenue. I only lived on Connecticut Avenue all my life. So, Mark, one of the things I'd love to discuss, because I think part of grilling that can be intimidating is the whole direct heat, indirect heat. Right. And how do move things around and turn off things on the grill and allow things to cook. I feel like everybody thinks grilling is supposed to be fast. It did. You know, this is a sort of new concept. And when I was growing up and when people were using briquettes, they, they built a huge fire, they threw things on, they incinerated them or they didn't. Sometimes they got lucky and didn't. But if you're doing hot dogs and hamburgers, which really until not that long ago was all that anyone grilled, maybe a steak, direct heat is okay. But Really, a lot of with the advent of gas grills, with people spending a lot of time grilling and thinking about it, it became clear that having kind of zones of heat on grills was a desirable thing to have a place that's really hot for searing and a place that's not so hot, hot for longer term cooking. And both gas, you can do that with any fire, but gas makes it easiest. Well, so let's talk about searing. You know, if you have a beautiful, big, thick, marbled steak. Do you want to? We had we discussed this a little off air. Do you want to sear that first and then cook it, or do you want to cook it and then sear it? What is the best way to do that? And how do you handle the fire? Because sometimes you get a fireball when I'm you're doing a steak. Be very controversial on this. Okay, it doesn't matter whether you cook it. first Oh my god, and then you are so controversial, Mark. He feels, he feels strongly. Oh my god, no gauntlet thrown. It you're not matter. controversial. You're boring, Mark. It doesn't matter. And um, the way that you handle it is. You only use high heat for searing, and mm -hmm. you use medium heat for cooking. If you have a thick steak, it's going to take a while. It's going to take 20 minutes, right. maybe even longer. You can't expose that to direct heat for 20 minutes. It's going to turn, well, I think my question, as you say, turn into a, a fireball. fireball. So let's say you go to sear it, and all of a sudden— You move it off the heat. But what do you do? But you, you don't want to lift the grill if there's a fire—like, 
What if it's really, you know, the grease hit and maybe your grill isn't really clean? Like, what's your, how do you not lose that piece of meat? Because you can't open it. Do you know what I mean? You like, can't open it. You can't you have to okay. open it. If it's on fire, you, you absolutely gotta open it. have to okay. open it. I'm just and saying. you have to move it off the heat. All right. And just move it and turn all the, turn all the. I mean, it's a situation down. by situation thing. But that shouldn't happen because really, if you're searing it, you should sear it for mm -hmm. like 30 seconds or a minute on each side. And okay. then you should move it off the heat. If you want to start it off the heat, which is the, the absolutely the way to do chicken is to start it off the heat. Let the fat render and brown it at the end. And that is a good technique for steak also. But the other technique works also. Okay. Works too. It's just a matter of paying attention. Well, what, I, I want to get into fish. I was just going to say, because I think fish is the, because it's, it's, it, it can tend to break up on the grill when you're trying to get underneath it. What, what are the secrets to cooking fish on the grill? And are there certain kinds of fish to avoid? Right. Well, that's one secret is don't cook fish that's going to break up on the grill. So um, <laughs> white fillets of almost any kind are really tricky. And the thinner they are, the more tricky they are. Mm -hmm. The white fish that cook well on, on the grill are uh, striped bass, halibut, monkfish, fish that tend to be very, very meaty, will not fall apart. You know, you want your grill clean. You want to cook it until it releases. You don't want to overcook it. There's a lot going on. With thin fillets, it's, it's almost impossible. Mm -hmm. But, you know, swordfish, salmon, tuna, monkfish, as I said, there are a lot of fish, that, and all shellfish, of course, there are a lot of fish that you can grill without fear of it falling apart, and it's awesome. Well, and can we talk about whole fish? I feel that uh, I love cooking whole fish on the grill. I love stuffing it and putting it together. A lot of people are either intimidated or concerned because they don't know how to check when it's done. I think that's the it's not just fish, but all food when you're cooking on the grill. You don't want to cut into it. So what, what are some good tips for knowing when your food is done? I, I mean, I think don't be afraid to cut into it. Okay. I, that's not so but scary. But I feel like those, those are the – like they tell you not to cut into it. The juice I'm is going to go away. I'm telling you to cut into all it. All right. Mark I mean, Bateman yeah. is telling us something different. Okay. I think you err on the side of undercooking. Mm -hmm. If you need to put it back, you put it back. There's no uncooking. When something's overcooked, it's overcooked. It's over. Right. So undercooked, put it back. Mm -hmm. The juices don't explode out of a piece of food when you cut into it. Mm -hmm. So um, you, if you use an instant read thermometer, you can poke it with a very, very, very thin knife. Mm -hmm. And once you know what you're doing, you can tell when things are done. And if you have to cut into it, cut into it. All right. So here's, your, here's the question. You're known as the cooking authority. Have you ever screwed up? Do I screw have, up all the time. I mean, that's... Story? You know, Julia Child said the great thing about cooking is you get to eat your mistakes. And right. that's really <laughs> true. true. I, so I love that. that. Who doesn't right. screw up? Yeah, right. I screw up all the time. And grilling is, you know, it's, it's a very uh, variable technique because each grill is different and every day is different and so on. It's not as um, – it's more intuitive and more skill-driven than many other kinds of cooking so you're going to make mistakes, but, you know, so what? Well, let's talk about the last one. That's a good point. So I think people get really stressed out about cooking people and entertaining. People get afraid of making mistakes in front of other people, but cooking for other people is a gracious, loving, wonderful thing to do, and everyone appreciates it when you're cooking for No, them. I totally so agree with you. You make a mistake. No one's going to hang you for it. <laughs> let's talk lastly about some of the desserts in here because they're really interesting. The banana with chocolate and crushed peanut brittle. I mean, so easy. It's like you take a ripe banana, you grill it, you put some chocolate on there, so it melts. You just, but I mean, you leave the like, skin on. Yeah. That's yeah, what's it. So do you put the... And then the, you eat it out of the skin with a spoon. It's so much it's fun. It's really fun, yeah. So wait, really you put the nice. chocolate right on the skin? Yeah. 
No, right on the flesh. The, the Those flesh. are cut in half. Oh, they're so cut in half. It's hard to yeah. tell on yeah. here. Right. Um, it's a beautiful dessert. What a fun. Yeah, it's really so good. When the you dessert were, stuff is really fun. So when you were doing your research, were, were there people you wanted to talk to or places you wanted to go or things that you already had in your files because you've been doing this for so a long? A lot of it is stuff that I've gathered over, I mean, literally 40 years of doing this. So, mm -hmm. yeah, there, I mean. I learned a lot from Gary Danko in 2003. I've never thanked him directly, but well, thank you, we Gary. did a I'm lot sure of cooking together right. then. Uh -huh. and, you know, I've learned from so many different people that I've been doing it for a while. Mm -hmm. All right, we have to let Mark go because he's, he's got to make it to politics and pros, baby. Politics and pros, and let me say it correctly: Connecticut Avenue and Nebraska Avenue, right there, there in that little strip. All right, I'm thank glad you, you so said much. that because I think I would have gone to the wrong place. So, uh, so wait, is oh, wait. it? It's oh, not at the wharf, right? I don't, whatever the address is, I've got it. Okay, let's we'll make go sure. Online go online and, and double check. Yeah, okay. Uh, but right. he will be there today at 12. And this was Mark Bittman. I had a girl everything. Thanks Great. so much for joining us Thank today, you Mark. Both. Thank you. Okay. All right, our Virginia wine guys, we are going to get back to you in just a sec. But we have Chef Patrick O'Connell on the phone, and we want to get to him right away. Chef. Hi, Chef. Well, hello. Well, hello. <laughs> First of all, congratulations on 40 amazing years. Thank you for so you much. and the inn at Little Washington. I'm not distracted. I got to lead a start off question for you because I, you know, I, I I'm not going to read your bio because we could go two hours on that for all <laughs> your successes. But you never went to culinary school, did you? That's correct. What the right. hell happened there? Is greatness born <laughs> and not made? Uh, well, if you are obsessed enough with something, uh, you just get into a zone. <laughs> Well, I think you've been in a zone for like 40 years, Chef. <laughs> but can you tell us a little bit about the, just, you know, a couple of seconds about the origins of the inn? Because, you know, my sense of it is that you were, you were down in Washington, Virginia, and, uh, uh, you know, you really were just, I mean, you were just sort of led by instinct. There was nothing really, there was no mission, there was no nothing. It just sort of grew out of, out of your pursuit of organic foods and great cooking. Exactly. I just needed an audience. I uh, I was making all this food and foraging and finding the food, and I had to feed people. <laughs> so uh, first it was lost hikers from the Shenandoah National Park coming to my farmhouse. And, oh, uh, that we had I, been among those lost hikers. I mean, you know, we've, we've been fortunate enough to have dined at the inn multiple times and, and stayed, stayed there. So we feel very uh, fortunate to be a part of that um exclusive club but you are doing so many wonderful things to celebrate your 40th anniversary uh one coming up this week can we talk a little bit about exactly. it well in just three days on wednesday may 23rd mm -hmm. the smithsonian is uh having a seminar with uh, myself uh, interviewed by michael kahn the mm -hmm. artistic director of the shakespeare theater company and we're introduced by Tom Sietzma, the Washington Post food critic. And the subject is the restaurant as living theater. Mm -hmm. So the hope is to give people a different window to look at the restaurant experience and perhaps appreciate it more if they realize that it's not a passive uh, interaction. It's more of a dance, and they can be the star. Well... Having dined at the inn, it is like a theatrical production. You know, everything from the way the uh, service staff treats the guests, 
uh, the gentleman pushing the cow around, <laughs> you know, that moves, that serves the cheese, and he always has those cheesy jokes that go along <laughs> with it. Um, and then, of course, there's always the grand finale, which is coming to see you in the kitchen and seeing your, you know, massive, your kitchen is like a, like some it's dream like home kitchen. It's so <laughs> beautiful. But it does seem that that you really take to heart every aspect of a diner or some anybody who's coming to the inn. You sort of want to cross every T and dot every I. Yes, you have to reach people on multiple levels mm -hmm. uh, to create a kind of restorative experience. You have to go beyond just what's on their plate. You have to control the entire uh, experience as much as you can and leave nothing to chance. Well, I mean, I think that's why you have your Michelin stars and uh, your James Beard Award. Now, at the event on the 23rd, um, will people be able to dine or is it just a lecture? Well, we'll begin with a lecture. Mm -hmm. and we'll have a sort of taste of Virginia afterwards. <laughs> and we'll have... Uh, morel pizzas and little scrambled eggs and eggshells with the uh, wild morels. We'll have everything from the garden, chilled minted pea soup and all sorts of local Virginia cheeses. And we're doing an interesting dish with uh, Virginia bison uh, mm. from New Frontier Farm in Madison, Virginia, uh, where we make sort of a Julia Child version of the old Boeuf Bourguignon, the long simmered stew in red wine. But then instead of adding the meat to the stew, we sear the meat, the bison, very rare, with a kind of crust on the outside in cubes, and then mix it into the stew. So you have a rare beef before guignon. It's quite intriguing on the palate. Ooh, my God. Can you push some of that through my headphones, please? <laughs> <That's delicious. laughs> oh my God. Uh, okay, so that event is on the 23rd. That's here in right. D.C. Tickets are still on sale. They but are. you are doing other fabulous things to celebrate the 40th. You mentioned the tickets, and I wanted to add that yes. uh, listeners on your show, mm -hmm. if they dial in VIP uh, on the Smithsonian website. So that's I-N-N-V-I-P, correct? Exactly. Mm -hmm. They will receive a 15% discount. Oh, that's fabulous. Uh, Okay, great. For their tickets to uh, Smithsonian. Okay, we will certainly let people know that uh, on social media as well. Chef, we are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, if you don't mind holding for a couple minutes, uh, when we come back, we want to talk about the fabulous event on the 16th at, at Mount Vernon and then the blowout event in, um, in France on September 30th. Okay, we'll be back in just a sec. This is Nikki and David Nellis from Foodie and the Beast. We are talking to acclaimed chef Patrick O'Connell. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to celebrated chef Patrick O'Connell from the Inn at Little Washington, who is celebrating, along with the Inn at Little Washington, 40 years in the business mm -hmm. with some awesome events. Chef, I want to let you know we also have uh, uh, two Virginia winemakers in studio with us from uh, Horton and uh, Morais uh, because we're celebrating also Vintage Virginia, which is coming up shortly uh, at the beginning of June. So Fantastic. It's, all, it's all Virginia all the time. And we understand uh -huh. Horton used to make, years and years ago, used to make your wine. Uh-huh, yes, yes, yes. When there were just a few vineyards in, in the state. Right. Right. Now we can hardly keep track. <laughs> exactly. No, very true. All right. So I'd like to know, as you were rolling out your 40th anniversary plan, how did you come up with all these ideas? I want to hear about the event in Mount Vernon, because I know you just helped plant the garden there a couple weeks ago, right? 
yes, you're very well informed, Nikki. <laughs> Uh, That's how I roll. I wanted I wanted there to be something for everyone, and mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of celebrate all the relationships that we'd formed in the last 40 years, <clears throat> including those in France. But, uh, you know, George Washington laid out and surveyed our town as a 17-year-old surveyor, and I thought it would be wonderful to make the connection uh, full circle with his home, Mount Vernon, and... Uh, to create a party there, sort of channeling the hospitality of George and Martha Washington. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a spring garden party uh, under a huge tent just outside of uh, the mansion on Mount Vernon overlooking the Potomac. And uh, and how many people can come to that? 350 people. Okay. So, so there's room. a big tent. Yes. But we'll have a, 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 a wonderful dinner. Um, Do we have to come in colonial garb? Because I really don't have the legs. <laughs> you may. You I, may be I really don't look so good. And you know, milling around in colonial garb, <laughs> and we'll sort of bring the plantation to life, mm-hmm. and you'll have the sense uh, that uh, you're reliving the past and learning from the history. Excellent. So the historian at Mount Vernon and all the people there have been working with us uh, for the last year planning this. <clears throat> with rehearsals and everything else. So it'll culminate with a massive fireworks display over the Potomac. Um, well, that sounds spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> if you only knew <laughs> and then, how much had gone into this. Oh, I can only and then imagine. I've got to know, did you wake up one morning and go, oh, heck, let's do something in Paris, too? <laughs> Outside of Paris. <laughs> yeah. I did, because my favorite house in the world is outside of Paris, and it's called Vaux-le-Vicomte. And uh, it was actually the inspiration for Versailles. Mm-hmm. Supposedly the greatest party ever given in the world was given there for Louis XIV. It had lasted three days, and at the end of the party, Louis was so angered. <laughs> he threw his finance. <laughs> yeah, it was his finance minister who gave the party that he put him in jail. But did he ever get out of jail is the question. <laughs> no. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, and the, the house went into complete decline at that point. So we decided to channel the party that was given for Louis XIV. So we've been meeting with the historians and the family who owns the chateau mm-hmm. and recreated a menu that will give you the full sense of being there in the 1600s. So that's very exciting. A great way to relive history also. Well, um, and the lesson and of history is never stand up the boss. Right, right exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, never now, your boss. now, is there ways for people to find out information for all these things so that they there can buy are. tickets to these events? Exactly. There's a special website, at 40 the I-N-N at 40. Excellent. Well, we hope to see you at, uh, we won't be in France with you. That's just not happening. But <laughs> we hope Unless to see you. Unless you need someone to carry your suitcase. Yes. David's really good at carrying luggage. Um, she should know. But uh, we do hope to celebrate with you. And we, um, we're we just so thrilled about everything about the inn. And it's such an honor to have you on the phone with us today. And I just, I'm going to add one more thing. When we stayed there. Mm-hmm. If we moved the the uh, the bedding or a towel was left on the bed, when we went out of the room, we'd come back in five minutes and everything would be perfect again. I don't know how you do it, but that's the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. Well, thank you so much. Hope you'll come back soon. Oh, that's too. All right. Thank <laughs> okay. you, Chef. Bye. Thank you very okay. much. Bye-bye. Okay.
Neil, Victor, let's talk some more. Well, let's get All Victor right. up. Yeah. Okay, so, Victor. Victor, tell us about Moraes. So uh, Moraes Vineyards is the lifelong dream of Mr. Joe Moraes. He's a Portuguese immigrant that came to the U.S. some 40-something years ago. And uh, his, his main business is construction, but he always had the dream of owning and operating his own winery because it's something that he used to do in Portugal when he was a kid. It's kind of a uh, something that, that reminisces of, of, of his childhood. And mm -hmm. um, when he found the, the timing was right, he just went ahead and built the winery, you know, planted the, 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 the grapevines. But was he picking grapevines from Portugal? No, no, no. Uh, okay. we, we, we buy them in the U.S. They grow in the U.S., but mm -hmm. we, buy, we buy them here. So um, he always, um, he had, he want, he's very proud of his Portuguese heritage. So he wanted to make Portuguese-style wines, you know, growing Portuguese grape varieties. And he felt more comfortable having a Portuguese winemaker because of, you know, knowing the styles of wines and, and, and those grapes. And so here I am seven years later. Right. And like I usually say, I'm probably doing a good job because I haven't been fired yet. So let's <laughs> let's keep it that way. <laughs> okay, well, you the measure of job security. Yes. I have not been fired Indeed. yet. You right. did pour a first wine for us. Yeah, this, is, this is a typical, uh, typical wine from the northwest of Portugal. It's a, we call it a green wine. It's a white wine, of course. We call it green because... Uh, when we pick the grapes, they're not ripe. They're kind of underripe, so they're green, like we say in Portugal. Mm -hmm. So it makes a wine that's very uh, acidic, um, very light, you know, very refreshing. It's a great summer wine. This one, it's it's dry, bone dry. Uh, and this one is a uh, blend of 50% Albarino, which is supposed to be a Portuguese-Spanish grape variety. We, we I think most people think of it as a Spanish. Yes, but don't trust the Spanish. Trust the Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought it was don't trust the Russians. Okay. I, I'm so yeah. confused. <laughs> so... Question: Is this one of the wines that you'll be featuring at Vintage Virginia? I believe I believe so. Yes, it's probably uh, it's probably going to be one, one of the wines we're going to have there. Uh, it's a great summer wine. It's very refreshing. You know, it's very uh, it's very good. It's lively. It's good with delicious. sushi, for an instance. You know, fish. Uh, no, both of the wines salads. poured so far are perfect they are, summer. They're perfect summer they are, wines. You know, they are something indeed, crisp yeah. and light and easy. Mm -hmm. Nothing too heavy on the palate. Um, no, they're lovely. Neil, I'm going to bring you up quickly. All right. Um, so, what are you going to pour for us next? I'm going to pour a, a red wine. Oh, okay. If I can only do one more wine, I guess. I don't know how the time's going to work. No, no we're we'll, going to be able we'll to do two wines. As long wines. as you brought okay. wine, we'll drink we'll whatever drink we'll it. Get. Uh, you know no what? problem. We'll do, we'll do the one I opened here. This is a grape called Tanat okay. um, that we introduced to Virginia. We actually originally planted it to be a blending grape to help Cab Franc get more tannin in color. Mm -hmm. um, but it's uh, it, it, we had a big production year in 98, and we said, oh, we'll go ahead and bottle it tonight and see if people enjoy the grape um, by itself. And we actually, at that, that time, we blended a little Cab Franc in our tonight. Okay. Um, but in this case, this is 100% tonight, and uh, it's from 2014, and it's just a big, bold sort of steak wine. Okay, um, excellent. I well, wish the grill guy was here it, still. I know, right? That's what we need. If you, if you brought more wines, then I have an intravenous unit. You can just hook me up right. and I'll no help problem. you out. Okay, all right. All right well, we will so pour now let's out, talk beer. We'll pour out our wines while you walk around and pour that. Let's talk beer. Jeff, you you have been very patient now, waiting Hi, Jeff. to talk beers. Good morning. Well, so, I think before we get to beer, I think Jeff should really give his... He's been in the restaurant industry for the last 20 years, right? 27 years. 27 years. You don't look a day over 28. Okay. Let's, let's do your background a little. And Well, I grew up uh, three blocks from here on Macomb Street near Connecticut Avenue. Connecticut, oh, yeah, rub it in. <laughs> and you went um, to school at Wilson? I was Wilson, kicked, kicked out of St. Albans, so good, you know, good... Start. And then I went to Wilson, graduated from Wilson High School, went to UMass, became, a, became a carpenter. Oh, my goodness. And I went to Murray, so we were rivals in and high school. I just gave Murray a million and a half bucks for my three kids' education, oh, so there wow, we go. look at you. <laughs> I thought it was two million, but no. Something like that. They well, must uh, have been having a sale. <laughs> 
Um, no, I, uh, I ended up coming, I had to pay for school at UMass, and I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, work for a carpenter who taught me how to build things. Came back here, and I was building things, and I thought, man, we need a pool hall, because I had a cousin who was a pool shark who taught me how to play pool in Baltimore. <laughs> so we opened Bedrock Billiards in Adams Morgan. And I remember it's that. It's still there, mm-hmm. and it's just plugging along, and you know that was so much fun. We kept opening, uh, basically one a year, sometimes two. And it's been uh, it's been a ton of fun. Um, I'm surrounded by fantastic people, talented, smart. Marjorie Meek Bradley is a yeah. partner at Smoked and Stacked. Uh, but no, you go, you were part of the group that opened you up were Ripple. Ripple, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, so, that, so I mean, we knew Roger and obviously Marjorie, and you had a, a Logan Cox. I mean, there were so many great chefs who were yeah. out of Ripple. Yes, and it was it the culture at Ripple was extraordinary. Um, the people were you know made the place. Of course, the great chefs, um, you know, buying local, uh, you know, working with the Amish guys. I love the guy would you know come with his driver and his hat, and he would sell us Montessori educated you know radishes and you know like, but you also you know, had like, a ripple we had your cheese monger in you had a huge cheese program there yes, and you yep. had a terrific wine program yes, i mean terrific a terrific wine, wine program, program. Yep. it was and amazing roger, roger it was behind really his passion was behind the whole thing mm-hmm. he loves wine he's such a a, a, a talented you know wino mm-hmm. um, but i mean when we called it ripple it was funny we we, we laughed a little tongue-in-cheek um, right. I was gonna say, I always Fred. said to her, "Why did they name it Ripple?" Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Fred Sanford, you know, yeah. right. had, had some uh, influence on us. Um, and then, okay, so you got into smoked and stacked with Marjorie, yes, uh, which is a great fast casual concept with her housemade pastrami's, yes, incredible, um, incredible, and her milk bread, which is also ridiculous. Yep. Um, but now, but now you have these beer halls. Now we have beer halls, and and what we have. It, what, what works now is sort of a fast, casual approach to to bar business. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, at Church Hall in Georgetown and Franklin Hall at 14th and U, 14th in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, customers get up and get their own drinks at the bar. They go up to a window and order their own food. When it's ready, when it's hot, they get it. You know, they sit down, they eat. You know, there's no the the bottleneck of service in a big floor plan um, was always a problem. So we just got rid of it. And and it's it's. So does that mean you've gotten rid of like staff? Um, no, we have more bartenders and and no table service except uh, people picking up the tables, busters. Okay. Uh, in. So, um, but it's it's working out really well. And we have our door guy has a point of sale system. So if your Uber is there, you can run out and you know sort of swipe your finger on the way out and hop in your car and go off to the next place. So. So this is a complete uh, sort of change. I think a lot of people are trying to find ways to bring technology into restaurants. There's so many people who are, you know, there's all these new food space apps out there to, you know, whether you can pay your bill or order or, you know, everybody's trying to figure out that technological aspect for consumer to business. Yes. And how to make that work. But you're sort of creating your your own way with this. We are, and we study uh, technology and the industry really closely. My partner, Peter Bain, has been working hard over the last three years to implement Restaurant 365, which is basically a hub that takes all of our, our data and puts it into one place. Mm-hmm. So we have real-time P&Ls and real-time inventory, and it's, it's incredible. Um, where before, we're, you know, a month later, we're trying to figure out what happened, but we're too busy running the business to actually do anything with the information. Mm-hmm. Now we press a button and we see it real time. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about 
the kinds of beers you're serving and since you have all this technology, what's the priority? Is the priority the technology Fantastic. or the beer? Always the beer. Okay. <laughs> this is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We're talking beers in just a bit. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Before we get back to the show, I just want to thank our sponsors, ProFish, uh, the fabulous market at River Falls in the center of downtown Potomac, um, uh, Central Farm Markets, and Meat Crafters. There so are soft shells at Central Farm Market. There are soft shells and, and, I'm ready and for skinny soft salamis. At, and, skinny, and skinny salamis. Don't forget All right, so let's get salamis. back to Jeff Dawson and his new beer hall, Church Hall. Why Church Hall? Well, it has huge, it's uh, high ceilings. It's sort of when my partner's wife came in, she said, oh my God, it's like a church. And this is in Georgetown. In Georgetown. Right? So mm-hmm. we just rolled with it. I mean, our names come out of left field half the time we have no idea and then we something sticks and and that one did and it's been a little confusing for some people seo on church hall was tough in the beginning but now it's started to uh mm-hmm. to, to land so, good, so you know listen the beer landscape has changed in dc drastically in the last 20 years uh you know with um church key and birch and barley and uh you know all the beer that's made locally now the three stars the dc brow etc uh, so what was it that you were looking to do with Church Hall? Uh, to really represent local beer, um, but not just local. We have we sell a ton of Narragansett, too. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's something for everybody. And the idea is if, if a group of three super beer nerds comes in and they got two buddies who are PBR drinkers, everybody's happy. Okay. Um, and it's, that, it's trying not to be too precious, but still having a lot of fun representing it, doing tastings with the breweries. Um, I love Right Proper. Raised mm-hmm. by Wolves right now is my go-to. It's good sort of five percenter. Thor is amazing. I mean, um, he does incredible stuff. Yes, and they're great. I'm, I'm good friends with John Snedden, and I just love what he's what he's done with that. Um, mm-hmm. DC Brow, of course, has always been been fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Those guys are great for us. Atlas, we have a bar around the corner from Atlas and Ivy City. Mm-hmm. Love love those guys. Um, and it's just it just keeps growing. I mean, it's. You know, people say there's too much and there's going to be a shakeout, but I don't think there is. I think there's enough appreciation and enough room um, for these small batch beers to, to keep strong. Well, that's one of the things. Um, you know, we have another show at uh, The Line um, Hotel on Mondays, and we had uh, Dave and uh, Mike. Mike McGarvey and Dave from, Coleman. Yeah, mm-hmm. from uh, Three Star. And that was one of the conversations we had with them, which was, you know, does the local field get too populated? I mean, at some, at some point, point, there are too many deer in the forest, and you've got to have a winnowing of the herd. It's gonna—it's just a natural economic it, occurrence for these craft To some brewers. degree, but I think that, you know, you can always change what you're brewing, so you can keep being creative. It's like, you know, it's like being an artist, and you've got a new, uh, a new, new canvas every time. How much is marketing at this point factor in because there are so many we've well, had he's not a beer maker no 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 but i mean it, it, but he buys beer mm-hmm. to then sell oh, yeah we do so <laughs> the point is i mean i mean we we've had we've had brewers on with with you know with great beers i mean we've tasted them never heard of them i mean right. so it's a question of how do they bubble to the surface to get your attention well, that's, that's a good question um I, we, I, that's the only kind yeah, of ask. there you go <laughs> a trained professional few but yes. many um, if I can only say Connecticut, right. <laughs> practice. <laughs> um, you know, I think the local beer scene is the first one that we that we look at, and I think that's happening across the country. People mm-hmm. are very, you know, they want local food, they want local drink, they want they want to support local business, um, mm-hmm. like Virginia wine, like Virginia wine, which we will we're gonna well, we're get, get it right. We're gonna it. get it on on draft. Um, 
but it's uh, it's that's an important part of what's happening in in the bar and restaurant industry now. And so you know they have our ear. Mm-hmm. And so the brewers come in, they bring tastings in. Do they, just, do they walk in unannounced? Do they have to make appointments? How does it work? Uh, you know, their distributors bring samples, and, and they have a relationship with our managers. And we defer to our managers, who are all, like, trained, unbelievable. Well, and they're in it. They're geeks. so in it, you yeah. know? They have to be. Yeah. I mean, I go in, and they're like, oh, try this, try this. Oh, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. I, I, that, that's what makes us great. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so let's tell everybody where they can find your two newest concepts. Church Hall is in Georgetown, and you have to search for it. It's where the old Georgetown Mall used to be in Georgetown sure. Park. Well, the mall is kind of still there. Where Garfinkel's was. The mall is gone. Mm-hmm. It's been paved over. It, you know, paved over paradise. Um, put in a parking lot, literally, and then and Church Hall. Oh. So we're where the escalator goes down off. Of, used to go down off of Wisconsin Avenue. Is now right. a flight of stairs, the second longest in Georgetown. Uh-huh. And at the bottom of those stairs is Church Hall, and oh. it's seven thousand feet with a mezzanine. Um, we've got twenty-eight draft beers. We've got fireplaces. We've got couches, chairs, big beer, cool. ta- beer outdoors? garden tables, indoors. Indoors, all yeah, indoors. So we never get rained out. Okay, excellent. Um, and and it's fabulous. We have a lot of games to play. We've got. Uh, Jumbo playing cards. You see people with the, you know, playing liars. But what's the? the oh, like, uh, what's it called? Liars poker. Uh, yeah. What's the one where you got the card in yeah. your head? Heads up. Heads up. Yeah. And it's like, no, don't bet the three. The whole room is looking at <laughs> <out of> us. <laughs> um, but it's it's great, and and people have discovered us. We've been open about two months now, and we think it's what Georgetown really needed. Excellent. Do you think there's uh, any bad mojo there with having the second longest flight of stairs? Because you know we're the longest flight of stairs. The devil's there. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> the devil made well, me do it. The good news is people are going up the stairs after they've oh, been to church hall, no so the, the odds point. get better. As, right? as long as they can, right. All right, so give everybody the street address. Let's just make sure. The street address, and you're going to ask me that. It's um, basically Wisconsin uh, and your crush M, It's Wisconsin right? and M. It's just below Paul Bakery, the entrance to Georgetown Park is right there and it's you go down the stairs all right. um, there will be better signage we're working on that but we have to get approved by 16 different groups in georgetown right. well so. i want to recommend it even though i haven't been there yet because anybody that goes to umass is good with me so <laughs> what i'm talking about all, all right. right let's so. go vintage virginia gentlemen okay so we talked about fortin's red but we did not talk about Moray's red Moray's, uh the one we're uh, pouring right now is a toriga so toriga is a portuguese grape for sure don't let the spanish fool you again okay uh, <laughs> Oh, it's probably what the, the most Delicious. famous uh, Portuguese grape variety, and Horton, of course, grows a lot of Toriga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and as a Portuguese guy, you know, I was very proud coming here and see a lot of Toriga being grown, not only in Virginia, but of course in the you know, West Coast and a little bit everywhere in you know, South Africa, Australia. Mm-hmm. And it's a really bold red. It's a powerful red. Uh, I think I think me and Neil, we, we kind of brought similar style of wines. Um, it's also a great steak wine. Um, it's... Um, but Neil's say. red mm-hmm. has a totally different, I mean, yes. the scent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What am I? Earthy. Mm-hmm. It's really earthy. Yeah. It's almost pickly. Am I off? I don't know about pickly. That would scare me. <laughs> <laughs> it's earthy for sure, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's it. It's really, really earthy. Yeah, it was in my ear by, right after I poured it. He's going, this is earthy. And I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's that's the style we have. Look at all you style. people with your fine palates <laughs> showing off. Professional winos. Yeah. So now, Neil, you've done Vintage Virginia. How long now? You've done almost all of them? I think the first time I did it was 91, and I don't think I've missed one since 1991, so I could have. 
Right. I can't remember that. There's those missing years, Neil. Where, and what know. is it about it that has you guys going there? I mean, do you just think it's a great way to showcase your wines to people who are interested in Virginia wines? Well, it's our best way to be able to communicate with the audience in D.C. and Northern Virginia. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of Maryland folks come. In fact, I've got customers that are regularly buying. They come down from Pennsylvania and Delaware mm -hmm. uh, for this event. It's a great way to get in this area and show off uh, whatever we got going that's new. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, How many wines will you be pouring? You know, I don't know. We keep uh, shifting, so it could be anywhere from 13 to 20 different wines. Okay. Uh, it's it's hard to take them off the list after you've taken them because people come back expecting. And you sell wines that. at this festival too. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. A right? lot of wine. So you can buy wines too. So you sure. have this opportunity to not only taste, taste. the wines, right. but and also and everybody should know that when you go to the each one of the tents, you can just. Buy your wine, and they'll put a sticker on it. It'll go all the way out to the front. Right, you don't have to schlep it. pick all your wine up I know, in one I place. I know, I love that. Yeah, it's great. I don't know that in Virginia they say no schlepping, but... Uh, no, I don't think they say schlepping in all right, Virginia. So, Maybe northern Virginia, so let's make but sure, not the other part of Virginia. Diane, you want to make sure everybody knows how to find Vintage Virginia I can online? do that. Yeah. I actually oh, know that. Geez, so, all right. uh, there's going to be over 250 different wines from 25 Virginia wineries. It's at Bull Run Regional Park. It's on Saturday, June 2nd, and Sunday, June 3rd. Um, and you can get tickets online at Vintage Virginia or, um, eat, drink, relax. or eat, drink, relax, yeah. eat, drink, relax. Of course, you can go to the list. Are you on it? Um, they're all over my website, so you can find uh, all their uh, all of Trigger's events there, but you can get tickets there. There is VIP admission uh, and it's definitely something uh, worth checking out. And the tickets are very reasonable. I think they're uh, $49 in advance for VIP. And thirty nine um, for Jeez. one day pass. So yeah. check out all the pricing. It's an amazing event. There's great food and there's great the wine. The oh, I don't know anything about the run. Diane, get in front of the mic and tell people hurry, about hurry, the run. Hurry. There's a great wine run on Sunday. So what is the wine run? Up, it's people run before the, the it opens, so you can come out early and race, and then go to the wine the festival afterwards. And then, oh, and then have yeah. a. Coronary, that'll be awesome. No, then drink some beautiful <laughs> wine. All right, we got to end, end the show. Okay. Uh, be sure to follow Nikki on WTOP live every Thursday at 1240 and on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And say goodbye because that's Okay, it. well, we want to thank everybody for joining us today. It really was a terrific show. We talked Virginia wine. We talked Patrick O'Connell, Mark Bittman, and Great Brews in Georgetown. Yes. Connecticut. Thanks. Okay, there you go. Uh, and we hope you all have a fabulous Memorial Day weekend. We will not be here, but we'll be back the first weekend of June talking about all things delicious. Everybody, please have a delicious two weeks. <laughs>